All right, get your Bibles and, and, and uh, turn with me to Daniel chapter one. And if you're like an expert Bible user and you can turn to one passage and mark another passage, then you can mark John chapter 13. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible on a device or an analog Bible that you brought in with you, have no worries, have no fears. We have two big Bibles up here and we'll put all the verses on them for you. Uh, but we have been in a series of messages called Counter culture, counter culture. And we're talking about really just that. How do we counter culture? That it seems that culture is moving away from God and, and we want to counter that. We, we want to see people move towards God. We're, we're going to move towards God in a culture that moves away from God. What we've said is, hey, we don't want to reflect the culture. We, we want to set the culture. We don't want to be changed by the culture, but we want to change people and the culture. And so we've been talking about that. How do we, as Jesus said, how do we, um, based on his prayer in John 17, how do we live in the world, but not be of the world? And that is not always the easiest thing to figure out in our world. And so we're using the book of Daniel because Daniel kind of zooms in on these four YouTube stars called Daniel, Ananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And, and we know them as Daniel, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those, those were their Babylonian names, Daniel's Babylonian names, Belteshazzar. And so we're, we're zooming in on these four Hebrews and this King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon had taken Israel captive, brought them into exile. And so these, the, Israel then was kind of forced to serve Babylon. And so uh, Daniel um, and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael would, were brought into the king's court to serve in his court. And so then we have all these as 12 chapters, but the first six uh, tell us some stories or some history. And that's where we have Daniel in the lion's den and, and the fiery furnace. And we kind of talked about that. But that's where we really get to see the these four Hebrews, and, and they're standing for God in this culture that really doesn't acknowledge God at all, but yet they're doing it with class and style and compassion, right? And so we've kind of been focusing on their stories and looking that together. And what, what I love about them is we see them, they're standing firm, right? Um, and, and yet still influencing the culture and influencing the king. And, and sometimes I think we think it's kind of one or the other right? Like, like I, can, I can stand firm, right? And, and that almost becomes uh, like, you know, antagonistic, you know, where I'm like, no, I'm right. They're wrong. I've got to make my stand by letting them all know they're wrong and I'm right. And I have the truth and they don't have the truth and they need to change. And they need to stop that. And their values are messed up. And here's the, here's the problem. You can't antagonize and influence, like if we go that route, if that's what standing looks like, we can't antagonize and, in, and still influence. In fact, you're not going to be able to win people you've made your enemies to Christ. And, and so then, and then this other side of it is, well, then, then we have to get in here. And if we're going to influence, we kind of have to be part of them. And we have to become one of them and we have to accept some of their values and we have to accept some of the, some of the things that they say. And, and the problem is now, now I'm becoming an imitator of what I see, you know, hey, when in Babylon, hey. And the problem is now I'm not different, so I don't have anything to offer them. And the way we explain that is like, hey, we don't want to isolate. We don't want to get in our Christian bunkers and throw truth bombs over the walls, right, on Facebook and let them know how wrong they are. And we also don't want to say, hey, hey, because we love you so much, there is no standard. We're going to change the standard of God in the name of love. 
and, and we're just saying, hey, there's really no standard, nothing's right, nothing's wrong. It's just everybody, you know, just God loves everybody, and God does love everybody. But here's the crazy thing, is that because God loves everybody, God maintains a righteous standard. And the reason God holds to a standard is not because he was bored and he's like, I need rules for people to follow so I feel like God. The reason God holds to a standard or gives us a standard is because he is love. And a loving God's always going to tell you the best way. He's going to say, here's a way with less brokenness. Here's a way with more peace. Here's a way with more joy. Here's the way things were designed. Here's the way I created you. And so a loving God's always going to call us to a standard. And so what we said is, okay, so we can't isolate, can't get in, get in our church bunkers and throw truth bombs via social media out into the world. And, and we can't imitate. We can't just say everything's great. And we're just going to be like the culture. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we infiltrate. We infiltrate. And so what we see is these four Hebrews infiltrating Babylon and Babylonian culture and serving the kings. I know a lot of people are like, well, they shouldn't have served them. That's just wrong. They should have made their stand and said, you can put us to death, but we will not serve you, King Nebi. King Nebi is his VeggieTale name. So, but, but here's the thing. God actually commanded them to infiltrate. Watch this. I mean, this is what he says. Jeremiah 29 verse 4 says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I've carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, don't decrease. Verse seven, and seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you'll prosper too. Here's what God said. I want you to infiltrate. I don't want you to isolate. I want you to imitate. I want you to infiltrate. And so that's what we see in, in the lives of these four Hebrews. And Daniel chapter 1 tells us, or to me, gives us a glimpse, because it's kind of at the beginning, but it gives us a glimpse at the strategy that they employed to make a difference in Babylon. Like, like this is the strategy they had picked. If you read the whole book of Daniel, you see this strategy running all the way through it. Like, this was the strategy. I know some of you are thinking, oh, they, must, they probably preached, right? And they probably got up and said, you know, they got, went to, you know, Exodus 20 in their little Bibles and said, hey, Exodus 20 gives us the law of God and the Ten Commandments. And they, they preached a series on Ten Commandments. And that's how they impacted the culture. Or, or they got on social media and, and, and quote, and, you know, like put, tweeted scripture, you know, and, and Instagram pictures of the cross. And that's probably how they influence culture. I mean, those type of things could be in there, right? I mean, they could, could, could they're not. And so... But it does give us the only strategy that we can find in the book of Daniel. And so I want to, it gives us a glimpse at it. So Daniel chapter 1, I want us to see this. Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, it says, These four young men, or to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all, in all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could even understand visions and dreams. At the end of the time set before the king to bring them into his service, that would have been about three years. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar and the king talked with them and he found them, he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the year of King Cyrus. So here we have, here we have these four Hebrews and they enter into this culture and they influence it 
but yet still stand firm in their faith. And so what I had to ask the question, like, well, how did they do that? I mean, shouldn't we ask that question? Because we're kind of in a culture that doesn't really name the name of God, but we certainly do. And we want to stand firm, but we want to influence. And so the question is, how did they do this? Well, here's the only thing you can find in the book of Daniel. They served. It's the only thing you can find. Their strategy, their strategy was that they served. So look at this text. Um, that we just read, there, there are some things that stood out to me, so you can write these things down if you want. But number one, when we serve, we will discover. Number one, when we serve, we will discover. Daniel 1.17 said, said, these four men, to these four men, God gave. Who gave? God. God gave them some things, right? Knowledge, understanding, um, and the ability to interpret dreams. Here's what's clear when you read the book of Daniel. Number one, had they not served, they never would have discovered Had they not served, they never would have discovered what they were gifted at. And had they not served and discovered what they were gifted at, they never would have influenced the culture the way that they did. What's really clear is because they served, they discovered. And because they discovered and served, they influenced. Like This is the truth of it. Serving is how we discover and develop our gifts. I don't know how, how your kids came to you or how you came to your parents, but I remember when Luke was born, it's kind of a freaky thing when your first child's born. How many say amen to that? Because all of a sudden there's this little person, right? And you're responsible for it, right? You know, and, and you're just trying to be responsible for yourself. And now there's this little thing, right? And it's a little, it's a little human, right? And, and, and so I remember, you know, we got Luke and we brought him home and we had all this paperwork from the hospital telling us, you know, all types of stuff. But you know what I couldn't find in there? What he was good at. Like he didn't come with a, with a list that this child is going to be good at these things. And it was crazy. So you know what I did as a parent? I said, hey, Luke, you want, you want to try soccer? Yeah, I'll try soccer, you know? So we tried soccer. Hey, Luke, wanna play baseball? Yeah, I play baseball. Hey, you wanna do basketball? Yeah, we, we do basketball. In that process of trying all these things, we discovered some things. Like, we discovered he's a great problem solver. We, we, we discovered he kind of has this, this creative engineering mind where he's always creating these ideas and things. We discovered that he's actually good at theater. We discovered that he can do sports, but that's not his favorite thing in the world, even though he's pretty good at them. It wasn't his, that wasn't where he, we, we discovered that he has this influence and this gifting as he's gotten older. He's always got a group of friends. Like he brings people to switch all the time. And so we started discovering what he was good at, but the only way we could discover those things is say, hey, you ought to try this. Hey, you ought to try that. Hey, you ought to try this. Hey, you ought to try that, right? Like, like, like the same thing with our other kids. We discover, hey, Mariah's got, she's got some strengths when it comes to athletics and, and she's graceful and powerful so she can do gymnastics and dance. Man, it's like, that's awesome. We discovered, with Briggs, we discovered he's a math and science guy. Like we tried baseball. He played one year. He said, I'm done. Feel like it's a good season, dad. I'm like, why don't you want to play? So he's like, the sun got in my eyes, dad. I'm out. I'm taking my talents to South Beach, you know, if you're LeBron. Anyway, never mind. I'm sorry. Now it's LA. Never mind. Sorry. Bad joke. Don't send me like LeBron's the greatest. No, he's not. He's not Michael Jordan. And so anyways, um, but anyways, and so like with, with Briggs, we understood, we found out, man, this, he's like wicked smart in, in math and science. Like first time he had UIL, he went, made UIL, did good, got a medal, right? And so the next year they're trying out for UIL to see who can compete in UIL. And, and he comes down for breakfast and he's got his medal on. 
And Julie's like, son, why, why are you wearing your medal to school? He's like, intimidation. <laughs> I want him to know I've already been to the big dance. <laughs> right? But that, but that was his, that's his thing, right? And so it'd been great if I got in a list to let me know what the kids are going to be good at. We just say some time and money and some things. But at the same time, what an incredible journey of finding out what they were good at and watching them try it. And so in our house, we always say, hey, y'all try it. Hey, y'all try that. Hey, try that. I don't know. Try that. You know, because we're like, we never know what, we, we didn't get a list that told us what you're going to be good at. You know what we do at the serve team? That's the same thing we do here. Hey, you ought to try that. Hey, you ought to try that. You ought to try that because serving is actually how we discover and develop what we're good at. Like every person has a gift. This is so cool. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says, watch this. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Time out, time out. That's good news. Like if you were coming today and you were feeling bummed, I just told you you're gifted because God gifted you. Merry Christmas. That's better than Oprah. You get a car and you get, no, no, no. I just said you get a gift and you get a gift, right? You, okay, bad joke. Anyway, so, but God, God has given each of us a gift, but, but then it tells us the only reason God gives gifts. Because remember, God gave them understanding and, and, and wisdom and he gave Daniel this ability to interpret dreams. The only reason God gives a gift is so we can help each other. That's what it says. Spiritual gifts given to each one of us so we can help each other. That tells us if, if I'm living life God's way, that I'm serving and I'm discovering my gifts and I'm developing my gifts and I'm serving to discover and I'm serving to develop and I'm serving to discover and I'm serving to develop and I'm serving to help others. When we serve, we, we discover. Here's the second thing. When we serve, we influence. Daniel one twenty nine. it says that the king talked with him and he found none equal to these four Hebrews. And so they entered the king's service. And we talked about this, that from this position of serving is how they were able to influence King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, the Bible says that Daniel served until the first year of King Cyrus, which means Daniel would have served four kings over 70 years. The, the two that he had the most influence with were Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius. And you remember King Darius, that was the king when the whole lion's den thing happened. And King Darius loved Daniel. He didn't, he didn't want to put him in the lion's den. In fact, Daniel had served so much and developed his gifts so much and had so much influence with the king that the king was going to put him over the entire empire. Because the king, Babylon was an empire, and so the king divided the empire into 120 provinces, and, and, he, and he recruited 120 satraps. We're just going to call those guys officials or governors, because we don't use satrap much today. I don't know if you woke up this morning and we're reading about satraps in the paper. But anyways... So we're just called governors, officials. And, and then to oversee those 120 officials, he created this little panel or board of three guys and Daniel was on that board, but Daniel kept serving and became so, so influential that the king said, I don't need the other two guys. I just need Daniel. And so I'm gonna, you know, let them retire. And um, that's a nice way. You know, anyway, so I'm gonna let them retire and Daniel is gonna be in charge. And that's where they put this plan together to manipulate the king to make a law because they knew Daniel prayed and they wanted Daniel thrown into the lion's den. But ha ha, ha ha, because God's always with you. And so God was with Daniel in the lion's den and made them purr like kittens. And then the people that threw him in turned into kibbles and bits because God's awesome. 
That's Daniel chapter 6, as fast as I can tell you. Anyways, <laughs> so serving, serving is how we in influence. Watch this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, he said, in the same way, let your light so shine. Time out. We're always talking about, you know, let our light shine. There's songs about it. We sing along. We got to let our light shine, let our light shine. But the amazing thing is Jesus actually tells us how we let our light shine. Because it's not so much what we post on Instagram and it's not so much, you know, the bumper sticker we put on our car or the music we listen to at work. Look at this. He said, in the same way, let your light so shine before others. How would I let my light shine? Oh, that they may see your good deeds. Oh, serving is how I get my light to shine and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, here's what he's saying. If you want people to see your God, they have to see your deeds. If you want people to see your God, then they have to see your deeds. So you want your light to shine. Well, the people whose light shines the brightest serve the most. That's what Jesus is actually telling us. And when we serve, we influence others. That's the whole story that we see in the book of Daniel. So when we serve, we discover. When we serve, we influence. Here's the next thing. When we serve, we grow. When we serve, we grow. Daniel chapter 1 verse 20 says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better. This is three years actually into them serving into his court as the training program before they go on to serve in his court. Don't really understand all that, but I don't have time to explain it either. So, But here's the whole point. After three years there and, and them being faithful, he's, he's like, man, these guys are ten times better than anything else I got. Now, it's also true they were anointed by the Holy Spirit, so there's really no, we should always excel Right? We should. We should always excel in our jobs, and our businesses, because we kind of have the secret sauce, right? Or, or the Holy Spirit. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Don't send me an email. I'm just telling you we got something special. And so he found them 10 times better. Ephesians 4, here's what it says. It says, when we all work in our giftings, we all grow. And, and that's kind of what happens every weekend. Like today, our serve teams, right now they're preaching the gospel to the kids over there, and they made us coffee because we can't get our worship on until we're properly caffeinated, right? And, and they were greeting us as a, and, and the worship team served us and the ushers served us. And, and, and now and then I'm doing my job. The only thing I'm actually good at is talking. And so thank God the kingdom has a place for me, right? And so, and so now, but as we all come together and we all use our gifts and we all serve, we all grow. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us. And we grow in a lot of ways, like we grow in our abilities. We see this, the more they served, the more they grew in those abilities and the more they were even promoted. We grow in our influence, all right? We see that with King Nebuchadnezzar. The more they served, the more influence they had. Um, we grow, and this is a big one, we grow in our faith. You know, a lot of times we look at those, those kind of critical mass moments of the fiery furnace and we think, man, how did they, how were they able to stand for God in that moment and have faith and say, King, you know, we love you, but it, you know, if it's a choice between bowing and burning, we're going to, we're just have to take, you know, door number two, we're going to burn. And we think, how, how did they make that? Or how did Daniel say, Hey, if it's a choice between whether I pray or whether I don't pray, uh, a choice between whether I pray, whether I go into the lion's den, I'm sorry, I'm still going to pray. And we say, how did they have the faith to make those decisions? Here's why. Because when you serve, you see God work. And the more you see God work, the stronger your faith is. And so they had seen dreams interpreted and they had seen the impact and the influence they had on kings. And they had seen what God had done. 
And they had seen the favor that God had given them. And because they saw that, then their faith was able to grow. See, this is one reason I think you ought to serve. Because when you serve in the kingdom, you see the impact of it. And it does something for you. You know, Julie and I uh, did a lot of missions ministry for years and we led different teams. And you know what? The common denominator, we would, we would give it to the teams and we would we'd make a plan and hey, we're gonna serve the orphanage and we're gonna serve this place and we're gonna do this. And it could be anything from passing out medical supplies to pouring concrete. I mean, it could have been all types of different stuff. You know, the number one thing we saw was people going home, they're tired. <laughs> they had to do manual labor. <laughs> you know, it's hot. You know what all of them said? Oh my gosh, we feel so blessed to even have been here. They had worked hard, they had served, and they're like, we felt like we received more than we gave out. Why is that? Their faith was supercharged because as they had, as they had served, they had seen God move and they'd seen God intervene and they saw people come to Christ and they heard testimonies because they had served, their faith had grown. Here's another one we don't think about at all. We grow in our well-being when we serve. Like this is just science, but just to throw it in, there's like this, um, it's, it's like the happiness cocktail. And before you get crazy with that, time out, before you get crazy with that, I'm talking about the chemistry in your body. And I know some people are like, oh my God, he said cocktail in church. I didn't know another name for it. Don't judge me. You know, at the same time, we may have some Catholics and they're like, whoo, you know, anyway. but anyways, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Um, but but, but it's, it's these three chemicals of you know oxytocin, serotonin, and dopamine, and in your body when you when you get those three chemicals, it produces a sense of well-being or hap- we would call it happiness. Do you know what science tells us is the number one one of the ways really that we produce that specific cocktail, that p- specific set of chemicals that releases kind of that feel-good, happy, um, well-being kind of feeling? Do you, do you know how? Helping others. Like this is science, just helping you with that, right? Helping others. In fact, this is what science says, that, that those who help others or will say serve others are healthier. They have lower blood pressure, manage stress better, have less depression, feel less lonely, and stave off disease more frequently. And so when we serve, when we serve, we discover, when we serve, we influence, but when we serve, we grow, and we grow in faith, but we also just grow in well-being, and wellness. And, and so here we are, we're talking about these four Hebrews. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking like, okay, so, so their number one strategy, their number one strategy to impact this culture was to serve. Their number one strategy to make a difference was to serve. And then I thought, isn't that kind of what Jesus did? Wasn't that kind of his strategy? The Bible says he came not to be served, but to serve. And so then I went to John 13. So if you're there, John 13, um, verse one, this is, this is the last supper, which, which tells us Jesus was a, was a Southerner because he, he had supper. I'm just, you know, he'd been from up north, he'd had dinner. But he has supper. There's probably some sweet tea involved in that. Like sweet enough to pour over your pancake sweet tea. Come on, where are you at, sweet tea people? I've got my... I've got a little boy that runs on sweet tea. But, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, probably had some cornbread. I don't know. They had supper. That's all I'm saying. Could have had some chicken and dumplings. I don't know. Supper. Um, so it says, so they're having supper. And I'm thinking about this. This is really his, this is his last meal with them. Like over three years, you know, I'm sure they ate, you know, a lot of meals together. 
you know, um, but this is their last meal together and, and he knows what's coming. Don't you think that everything he would do and say would have an extraordinary level of, of, of importance at this point? I mean, wouldn't that kind of make sense? I mean, this is you know, like, if, if this were my last time with you, it would be a long service. Because I'd say, hey, guys, remember, you know, like I'm about to, to leave this with you guys. And Julie and I have been called to the mission field in Hawaii. And, and so <laughs> somebody say Honolulu. <laughs> oh, I want to go there. But anyways, um, <laughs> we've been called, you know. And, but, but we would, I mean, it, with the staff, we'd be sitting down like, okay, remember this and this goal and this is what we worked on, the vision. And so this is the last time with his disciples. And so obviously everything is going to have an extreme importance to it. And so then Jesus does something totally unexpected. But in doing that, he's showing us a lot about his kingdom and about how to impact culture. And specifically the culture of the world. And so it says, John 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Verse 2, during supper, told you. When the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water uh, into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet uh, and, and to wipe them with the towel he was wrapped with. And he came to Simon Peter. Time out. We know things are about to go off the rails. Because if you know anything about Peter, Peter just had he, had, he had some struggles that I have. He, he typically would speak and think like, you know, a week or two later, you know, like when Jesus is walking on the water and they're all freaked out. And he's like, hey, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus is like, yeah, it's me. And he's like, well, if it's really you, then tell me to get out of the boat in the storm. Like, that's not smart. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, I'd be like, Jesus, if it's really you, number one, do I really need to ask? I ask. He answered. Now I'm asking again. But then the other thing is, it was really you. Tell John to get out of the boat. You know, that's, like we're not thinking through this. I mean, Peter's the only disciple God came down and told to shut up. Literally on the Mount of Transfiguration, like they're having this, Jesus having this really cool party with Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured and Moses and Elijah are there. And, and everybody, like <laughs> James and John know this is a time not to talk. Not Peter, not Peter. Because <laughs> he's totally like, and to me, I, I'm East Texan, so this is the way I hear it because I'm not, you know, I'm not a Jew, but, but I'm sure there's a Jewish accent that works. But I'm sitting here like, Lord, it's good to be here. We ought to be up three tabernacles. And like there's immediately, the Bible said, immediately a voice came from heaven. This is my son, hear him. In a nice way, God's like, hey, I'm nice, Peter, shut up. Right? So anyway, so it's, things are going great. Like this is kind of crazy, but things are going great. And then all of a sudden it says, and he came to Simon Peter. So, you know, things are going to run off the rails. He came to Simon Peter and, the, and Simon Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And he said, um, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. But afterward, it's going to make sense. And at this point, Peter, just trust him. Like, just trust him. But no, no, no. Peter said, you're never going to wash my feet. Take that. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no place with me. And then Peter said, well, Lord, not my feet, but my hands and my head too. You know what I mean? Bless him. Anyways, so Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, 
and not every one of you because he knew that Judas was going to betray him. So he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet, he put aside his outer garments, resumed his place and, and said to them, uh, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet for I've given you an example that you should do what I've done. And he said, very, very truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now this is like crazy culture shift right here. And here's why, let me explain. Foot washing in the Greco-Roman world has some significance. It had as, as simple a significance as just hygiene because they wore sandals and they walked on dirty streets where angels, not angels, where animals had trod. I'm sure angels too, but animals had trod, right? And when you have animals, then you have what comes from animals and you have dirt. And so obviously, if it, and so they would wash their feet because that's good hygiene. They would also wash uh, people's feet if you came over to visit as a sign of hospitality. They would also wash feet as a sign of, of holiness. In other words, priests, when they would minister, would wash their hands and wash their feet. And then if you entered sacred places, you would wash your hands and wash your feet. And so, so, so this, is, this is something that's done a lot, but, but here's kind of the caveat. In the Greco-Roman world, foot washing was pretty much exclusively done by slaves. So here they are at the last supper with the Messiah, who they believe to be the Messiah, who they believe to be the king. And all of a sudden he's putting his garments aside, getting down in front of them with a towel and a wash basin. And he starts doing what they really had only seen slaves do. And that's why Peter like gets offended, like hold up Jesus. Like, I don't know what was in your wine, but you've lost it, brother. This is not what you do. But Jesus is actually showing them, no, this is exactly what I do because I'm not from this world, but I am of, I'm not of this world, but I am in this world. And I'm trying to impact this world with the culture of heaven. And so I'm giving you a picture of what heaven's culture looks like, which is a huge culture shift away from what this world looks like. And so he's giving them a culture shift. And so you could write these down. Number one, he's giving them a culture shift that serving is recognized by motive, not motion. Here's what it said, that Jesus, having loved his own, loved them until the end. In other words, he's saying, hey, love is the motive. Before serving comes out of loving. If you love well, you serve well. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that in a culture where, where you, the religious crowd served out of selfish reasons. They served to look good, right? And I mean, Jesus even says this. He said in Matthew 23, verse five, he said, everything they do is for show. Everything they do is for show. If they're helping the poor, it's really about them looking good because it's about these tassels that they wear, which is about how good they are to them, themselves. Their, their outward show of how good they are, right? And so he's like, hey, they've got these tassels and everything they do is about getting another tassel. So if they're helping a widow, it's just to look good. They're helping the poor, it's just to look good. If they're helping somebody or serving in the temple, it's just to look good. And so here's what he's saying. The difference between what is selfish and what is serving always comes down to what's going on in the heart. Like you can do the same things, but one be selfish and one be serving. 
And the only way to distinguish between those two is the motive of the heart. And he said, here's what he said, guys, in the kingdom, the heart, the motive is more important than just the motion. But if you get the motive right, the motion takes care of itself. And so he's saying, hey, we want to have the the motive right, right? Jesus, Jesus served because he was so loving, because he had the motive of love. He had the motion of serving. First John 3, 16 says, by this, we know love. Well, how do we know love? Well, essentially Jesus served us. He laid down his life for us. And then he goes on to say that because he did that, we ought to lay down our lives for each other. In other words, we should serve because he served. We should, if we love like he loved, we serve like he served. Listen, listen, I can't control how gifted I am, but I can't control how loving I am. Mother Teresa said it this way, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. I can't control how gifted I am, but I can control how loving I am. And in the kingdom, the motive is more important than the motion. If I get the motive right, if I love right, I'll serve right. The motion will be right. So, so he's shifting culture around that. Here's the second thing. He's saying serving is the only passage, not an optional offering. In other words, here's what he's saying. There's only one way into the kingdom, and that's to be served. You have to be served into the kingdom. You can't find your own way. That's what he tells Peter. Peter's like, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And he's like, hey, if I don't serve you, if I don't serve you, you, you can't come in. There's no other way in than to be served, which I think is great. It's like genius on the part of God, this thing called grace. Because what grace says is, well, I can't earn my way in. I can't give my way in. I can't work my way in. I can't behave my way in. I can't memorize scripture my way in. I can't lead my life, life group lead my way in. The only way for me to come in is to surrender and humble myself and say, I'll have to be served in. I can't get there on my own. I can't do enough good. I can't do anything to get in. I just have to resign myself to receive because salvation is not a goal to be achieved. It's a gift to be received. And I just have to be served in. And then he tells us, hey, you got to serve other people in. Just like what I'm doing, you got to also do. People are served into the kingdom. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. He said, he said, hey, I'm free, though I'm free and belong to no one. Look at what he said. I've made myself a slave to, do y'all see that? Not just the people that can help me, not just the people I like, not just the people in my life group, not just the other believers. Look what he says. I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. Here's what he's saying. You want a strategy to reach people? Serve them. If you want a strategy to reach people, serve them. Yeah, yeah, you could. You could um, make posts on social media. You could do that. But he's like, hey, if you really want to reach people, you could explain to them why they're wrong. You could do that. But he's like, if you really want to reach people, serve them. Because when it comes to reaching people, how you serve is more important than what you say. 
when it comes to reaching people, how you serve is more important because you have to be served in. It's, it's, not, it's not an optional offering. It's the only passage. There's only one way in. We have to be served. Here, here's the third thing Jesus is telling us. So he's telling us, hey, motive over motion. He's like, hey, this isn't an option. It's the only passage. Here's the third thing he says, is serving is the way of sons, not the work of slaves. Serving is the, is, is, is the way of sons, not the work of slaves. John 13, verse 14, it says, If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. For I've given you an example or a picture or a model that you should also do as I've done. So here's what he's saying. I'm giving you a picture. Now think about this picture. They think he's the son of God. And so as the son of God, he, he takes the form of a servant. So what is he saying? Hey, if you want to know what, think about that. Son of God takes the form of a servant. Son of God takes the form. Here's what he's saying. If you want to know what a son looks like, a son looks like a servant. Like in the kingdom, a son looks like a servant. Why? Because serving isn't just the way in the kingdom. It is the way of the kingdom. Serving isn't just the way in, it's the way of. And so serving is how the kingdom relates. It's how it operates. It's how it influences. It's how it impacts. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, there's a little tiff with the disciples because uh, uh, you know James and John are kind of vying for this place at the right and the left hand of Jesus. Obviously, they hadn't read scripture because they know he's going to put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. So James or John, one of them's a goat. I don't know which one. So they're kind of vying. And then all of a sudden, the disciples find out, wait a second, they're trying to get reserved seating in the kingdom. Hold up. And so there's a tiff. And then Jesus has to like... Hey, class, hey, class, you know, focus, Fox, focus, Fox, right here, focus, right? He has to bring them in and he says, let me teach you something because when they heard about this, they became indignant. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and he said, okay, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Watch what he says, but this isn't how the kingdom works. Not so with you. Instead, culture shift, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his, his life a ransom for many. Here's what he's saying. Hey, Babylon, it's all about how many people can I get to serve me? What kind of place can I get? Where can I be? Where can I sit? What, what, what kind of position can I have? And Jesus said, that's not how it works in the kingdom. In the kingdom, success is determined by how many people you serve, not how many people serve you. It's like, this is how it is. And this is a shift. I know everybody else is trying, like you are vying for these top places in the kingdom. But he's like, if you want the highest place, you got to become the least. In other words, he's saying in the kingdom, those who go the highest are those who serve the lowest. And so he's saying, this is not just the way in the kingdom. It's the way of the kingdom. And then he goes on to say something kind of crazy to make this point. He says, hey, a servant's not greater than his master and, and a, mess, a messenger's not greater than the one who sent him. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. If serving is beneath you, the kingdom's beyond you. Saying, hey, if serving's beneath you, you still haven't made it yet. 
So your kingdom's beyond you because this is not just the way in the kingdom. It is the way of the kingdom. And he even said, hey, hey, it's not optional, not optional, not optional. Go and do it. Like this is the way the kingdom works. This is how we change the world. This is how, this is how we make a difference. We serve. I, I don't know. Do, let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you think, just thinking out loud, can we just think for a minute? Do you think God's pretty smart? I mean, he is all knowing, but with that, do you think he'd be pretty smart? Right, yeah, okay. People are like, I'm not answering because I don't like this message, preacher. You can't make me answer. I'm not gonna do it. Anyways, do you think God's pretty smart? Right. So if God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were having a strategy session on what would be the most effective way to change the world, do you think they'd come up with a good strategy? Wouldn't that make sense? Like if they're thinking, man, what is, what is the greatest strategy we can employ here to make a difference, to change this world, to, to infiltrate this culture, right? It, it would make sense that they would come up with, with the right answer, right? That, that, and the Bible says Jesus took the form of a servant. That's what Philippians said. He humbled himself and took the form of a Sorry, think about it. He could have taken the form of a king. In fact, that's kind of what wigged out a lot of the Jews is they're expecting a king and this guy comes looking like a servant and they don't get it. I mean, he, he, could, have, he could have taken the form of a gladiator and just like, you know, went to whooping everybody. But, but in their strategy session, the most effective way, the most incredible way to make a difference was to take the form of a servant. Here, here's the picture I get. Like the earth is full of sin and death and we are trapped in it. Mankind is trapped in it. And so Jesus says, okay, well, I'm coming. I mean, it was prophesied all the way back in Genesis. That's the first messianic prophecy we see. It's in the beginning of Genesis, right after the fall in Genesis chapter three. And so we know Jesus is coming. So, so Satan knows, hey, I got I to gotta, I gotta dance with Jesus coming. And Satan, you know, because he's probably, I don't, I don't, know him to be that smart, um, doesn't seem to be. On his best day, he works for God, you know. I mean, because he's sitting here thinking, if Jesus comes to, comes to the earth to try to take it back, I'm going to kill him. And then he kills Jesus, and Jesus resurrects and sets us all free. Like, if he'd, if he'd figured out that him killing Jesus was going to liberate the whole planet, I think he'd have killed anybody that tried to kill Jesus, but he was a little late to the show. Right? Are you, are you with me? And, and, so, and so, but Satan's thinking, I got this showdown, and Satan and Jesus are not obviously on equal terms. Satan's a created being, um, and Jesus is not. And so, but still, Satan probably thinks he is. I mean, he thought he was on equal terms with God, so, you know, kind of case in point, not the smartest knife in, in the drawer. But Satan's thinking, I got this showdown with Jesus. So I'm thinking, like, you know, here's American gladiators, and you get, here's this arsenal, and you get to pick your weapon for this great showdown. And so Satan's sitting there looking, ah, oh, Jesus is coming. I'm going to kill him. What am I, well, I'm going to use a whip, and I got this spear. I'm going to jab it inside, and I got this hammer and these spikes and these beams. I'm going to crucify him. I'm going to take him down. Like, come on, Jesus, I'm ready. And Jesus kind of steps into the ring, and here's this arsenal, and Jesus is like, well, I could come as a king. I'd have my own army. I come as a great warrior, you know, I could take this, this spear and this sword and this shield. But Jesus is like, I want the most effective way. And so over in the corner beside the arsenal, Jesus looks and there's a towel. And he's like, he picks up the towel and he says, yeah, I'll win back the entire planet with this towel. 
I'll serve them into my kingdom. The greatest way to make a difference, according to Jesus, is to serve. And because he served us, now we can be free, we can be loved, right? We can experience his grace and his mercy, the fullness of God we can experience. Why? Because he took his garments aside, put a towel around his waist, sat down and began to serve us. And you know what I love about our church? We are catching on to that. And we serve inside and we serve outside. And there are people that serve at ministries because we've realized, we've realized the best way to reach the world is even though they may have different values or different preferences, maybe their sexual orientation is different than what we feel like it should be. But while we can stand in the church and throw truth bombs at them, that's not the most effective way to reach them. The most effective way to reach them is to get a towel, go outside the church bunker and begin to serve them. Yeah, we could pick it at an abortion clinic but that wouldn't be the best way to serve them. The best way to reach them is to serve them, right? Yes, we can tell a whole culture they're wrong and they're going to hell, but we realize that's not how we're going to reach them. The way we're going to reach them is we're going to go serve them. And that's what I love about the kingdom and about the, are you with me in this? We can go serve people into the kingdom. What an opportunity. It's not an obligation. It's not an obligation, it's an honor, it's an opportunity. It doesn't come out of duty, it becomes out of identity because in the kingdom, sons look like servants. And God has given us a strategy to reach the world. And all I'm saying is let's pick up the towel. Let's pick up the towel. So today, we wanna invite you to be a part of the serve team. If you've never thought about it, this is your day to think about it. We have staff standing by, we're ready to help you. A huge part of our church is already on the serve team, but we want to invite you to say, hey, let's serve here and, and let's serve out there. And let's serve in our workplaces. Let's serve in the schools. Let's serve in our community. It doesn't have to be an organized effort to serve. You just have to find people who need something and you can serve them. And let's go serve because we believe serving is the greatest way to make a difference. Amen? Come on, give God some praise. That's good. That's good. Listen, you stand, stand with me.